but um, man, Danielle did a lot of stuff, so we're we missing, missing her. She's gone on to something new. Uh, it's exciting. We're, we're so excited for her. Um, and yeah, anyways, uh, you want to open your Bibles? There's some in front of you if you need them. You can open your Bibles. We're going through the book of Acts, and um, last week we jumped into Acts chapter 19, um, and we discussed, like, like last week we talked about kind of what what Acts chapter 19, and, and I really would describe it, I think the way the narrative lay, is laid out, it's kind of like the, the, the peak of the narrative. It's like the, the high watermark of, of the church moving forward. And what we see um, is, what we, we looked at last week, is that Paul has come into Ephesus, right, this city uh, in modern-day Turkey, and he spent three months just reasoning and persuading the Jews in the synagogue. It is like people who believed like him, who had an understanding uh, of, of an expectation of the Messiah just like him. And he was, he was arguing with them, trying to persuade them that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, trying to explain to them what it would look like for Jesus' kingdom to, to come, to have come. And um, after about three months of arguing with them and really, 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 really trying to convince them, they just decide, eh, we're, we're done hearing you, and they, they kick him out, basically, of the synagogue. Um, and instead what he does, uh, instead of just leaving town, he, he decides to start doing some ministry among non-Jewish people uh, there in Ephesus. And, and Ephesus is a major city. It's a big city. There's lots of people there. And the people who are there, who are, who are the non-Jews, actually are very interested in what Paul is teaching. And so he spends two years uh, he basically rents out a lecture hall and sets up a school, a discipleship school. And in that school, he every single day just gathers people together and he tells them about the kingdom of God. He talks to them about Jesus, explains to them what's up with this whole Jesus being the Messiah idea and how that should work. Um, and he does that. He, and it's, uh, it's an amazing time of impact for his ministry, right? Probably of all the times that he's out doing missionary work, which we see in the book of Acts, this is like the most impactful what's going on at Ephesus. And there's all these miracles that happen and kind of like crazy stuff, spiritual stuff that's going on. And, and these people like come, and what we looked at the end of, of last week's text is that these people finally come and they, they just burn up their, their magic books, right? Because if, if Ephesus was a place um, that was known for its um, kind of divination. It's, there, the people there had this, this uh, understanding that, that they could like, you know, essentially like do a lot of lot of magic and so um part of their culture w was magic and at the end these 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 disciples just come along people who have, have, are ephesians who started believing in jesus and they just burn up all of these books these magic books basically they're saying we're done with that stuff we're gonna walk with jesus now um but one thing i want to spend some time thinking about today is actually just paul's position, his, his, the time that he spent there, and kind of just reading between the lines on some of the text. Um, something I mentioned at the beginning of, of last week um, is uh, that we know that during this time, this time of great ministry success in Ephesus, that Paul is actually personally having a very difficult time of it. We know that because he tells about us uh, that about it in, in the letter to, to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians. He says this, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. This is Asia Minor, which is Turkey, right? It's not that Asia. <laughs> um, the, the affliction that came to us in, in, in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. And I think that's fascinating, right? 
because if I look at the surface level, if I look at the uh, book of Acts, right, the, the, it's telling of, of Paul's time in Asia, assessing the ministry what, that's going on there. You would say, boy, Paul must be having an awesome time. Like, the church is growing. People are show, getting saved all the time. There's, like, miracles happening. Like, certainly this must be a time of great rejoicing where Paul's just finally like, yes, this is what we've been going for. I've been working towards this for so long, and finally we're seeing God moving. You would think that he would be happy. <laughs> you would think that this would be, again, a time for him to just be, be really excited because God is moving so much. But what he describes here is during this time, and the Corinthians would be unaware of it, but during this time, he was afflicted. He says he was burdened excessively. It was beyond strength and that he was in despair. Not, not a, 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 a set of descriptions that make sense, I think, with, with the character of what was going on uh, in Ephesus, or at least what it seems to be going on in the book of Acts. See, Paul's experience of this great move of God, the high watermark of the book of Acts, is, is one of personal pain. He's going through some personal anguish. And he doesn't really tell us why, either in, in 2 Corinthians or in Acts. He doesn't give us, tell us what the occasion is that brought about that pain. And so we can only speculate about what was really so upsetting. Um, but he does go on to explain what God did through it, right? goes on in 2 Corinthians, what God is doing in his heart in this time. He says this, right? He says, so I was burdened excessively beyond strength, in despair. He says, indeed, we had a death a sentence of death within ourselves, an internal death sentence, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. So with hindsight, Paul reflects on everything that was going on in this time. He acknowledges that it was a time of great, great uh, ministry success, right? But he's reflecting on a few things, and he can see some cl things clearly now. Things that I'm sure, because I've gone through enough difficult times, I'm sure he didn't know these things while he was going through them, right? But in hindsight, he reflects on them, and he can see that this great pain led to good, and the good is that he would learn to not trust in himself, but in God who raises the dead. I mean, that is, that is an awesome statement. Not trust in myself, but trust in God who raises the dead. And this morning, I just want to think about that. I just want to think about what Paul was going through, and I want to think about what he learned. And we see some of this throughout his letters, what he was learning in this time. I also want to be very careful of what I'm saying, because um, we're talking about kind of a, a time of suffering and I know um, if you stick around the church long enough, or not even just the church, but like anywhere, be around people. If you, if you suffer in the world, you'll hear people say a lot of very well-intended things that are very dumb, <laughs> right? And you'll hear pastors say a lot of well and very well-intended things that are really just, just unfortunate. Things like, well, well, telling someone like in a difficult time, well, everything happens for a reason, Right? That's a very unhelpful thing. I've said those things before, I'm sure, or implied them, right? Very unhelpful. Or things like, oh, God just must be teaching you a lesson. Maybe. Not helpful, though. Definitely not helpful, right? So, so I don't want to just, just boil it down to that, because I think that is not really—I uh, don't think the point that Paul's making here is that, so you all better learn to trust in God and get over yourselves, right? 
Maybe he is in the long run, but that's not helpful in the moment. I don't want to throw Christ, Christian cliches at, at suffering, okay? And I don't think any of us should ever, should ever do that. I don't think we have to, actually. I think that's really the point that, I'm, that I want to get into here this morning. We don't have to do that. So I'm hoping that we can avoid those unhelpful cliches, but I'm also hoping that we can uh, look at Scripture and understand what was going on with Paul and how he navigated it and what he, what he, what he learned from it. Because I do think there are some things that we can apply, at least in a short term, in terms of how to deal with, with struggles, okay? So that's what I just want to do this morning. Uh, the first question that I want to ask, and, and I realize I can't give you a definitive answer, like I said, but I want to ask the question, what is really going on with Paul? Like, why is he so upset? text doesn't really tell us, but um, I think that we can do a little speculation, and even if we're wrong, it'll be okay, all right? So we might be wrong. I'm just telling you that. Um, what is going on? Why is he in so much anguish, despite the fact that he's having so much ministry success? Um, we can speculate. Some scholars say there must have been some kind of persecution, right, going on that we don't have told about in the book of Acts, or or maybe there was some betrayal, like, within the church, and Paul didn't want to bring it up because it would be rude, you know? Like, again, this total speculation, total speculation about what was going on. As I read the text, text though, I wonder um, if it wasn't more a kind of an inward turmoil, because a lot of the way he, he talks about it, he talks about having a sentence of death within himself, right? It doesn't seem to be an external threat. It actually seems to be like he's got an internal battle going on, something in his own heart, something in his own mind, some, some difficulty that's going on. And, and my best, best guess, and again, just a guess, just speculation, don't hold me to it, is that Paul is in so much distress because just as he's succeeding so much in reaching the Gentiles, he's, he's seeing how much of a failure, how much, not, not he's a failure, but how much failure he is experiencing, right, in reaching the Jews. Which, you know, so the thing about Paul is Paul was Jewish. These are his people. And he has a passion for, for reaching Jewish people. So, so he's in Ephesus, and he goes to the Jews first. He's hoping that they, they would return, but after three months, they, they kick him out. They turn him away. And then he just says, all right, well, I guess I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. And so many people start to come, and miracles start to happen. And he's so excited. And I can imagine that he's, he's thinking, what is going on? Like, these are my people. They should see. They should, they should understand. And yet, the more God does things among the Gentiles, the, the harder in heart the Jews become. This would be a very difficult situation uh, to be in. Paul talks about his feelings for his, his Jewish friends in the book of Romans. He says this, and I think this is where his anguish is. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. They are the Israelites. So if I'm just making a guess about what was going on, this is it. He's torn up because as the Holy Spirit is moving so powerfully in Ephesus among the Gentiles, his people, his brothers and sisters, people he has an affection for, they're just becoming more and more hardened against the gospel. The same people he spent three months trying to teach and convince, pray for, plead with, they've kicked him out, and they're just resistant. They're just saying, no, 
We are sticking to our guns. We are going to resist God's plan in sending Jesus the Messiah. And Paul is in so much pain for his people. See, Paul loved his people. He loved his, his, um, his, 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 like his nation, his eth- ethnic group. Um, and it's not only that. It's not just that he had a great affection. Paul also had a calling on his life. He was sent out, called by God, made an apostle by, of, by Jesus for a purpose. We read about that in Acts 9, when he came to faith, right? Paul was at first, he was just like his Jewish friends. He was against the church. He was persecuting Christians. He was on his way to Damascus to go find Christians in Damascus, in Syria. And he was going there to, to bring them back to, to Jerusalem and, and put them on trial. And as he's there, suddenly Jesus shows up to him. He's struck blind. And a man named Ananias comes and finds him and, and basically brings him in. And, and, and Ananias doesn't want to do this because he knows that Paul is, his, Paul's job is to kill Christians, to persecute them. And so Ananias is like, ah, I, mean, I, I, don't, I think I'll just give Paul some space, you know? Um, I don't really want him to see because then he'll see me and then he'll take me to, to, to uh, J- Jerusalem and, and it'll be bad for me. But as God, God tells Ananias to go, to go get Paul and to, to pray for him, he says this. He says, well, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Paul is called to take the name of Jesus to Gentiles. He gets that. He's doing that. He's succeeding in that, but also to kings, to rulers, and then also— Especially to Israelites. He's called to preach the gospel, to talk about Jesus among Jewish people. But here in this moment, when the gospel is going out among the Gentiles in such powerful ways, he finds his own people are totally against him. And it is a hard thing to love people, to desire their good, and yet to see them continually rejecting God. It is a soul-wrenching kind of thing to see people you love rejecting God's mercy and His grace and His kindness, to choose blindness when light is just so present and available. See, it's easy to go through life and have everything to be to be great, like to be successful in all ways, but still to be in anguish and broken up on the inside. I'm, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know people in here like that would say, "Man, on the surface, my life looks so good," and, and people like like think, "Man, I've got it together." But you've gone through seasons, or maybe you're even in a season, a time where like internally things are not okay. You are hurt. And look, of course, I'm just speculating about what Paul was going through. But speculating based off, I think, some, some textual evidence. But I think it makes sense. But maybe the, the real reason that I'm seeing this connection, and I just kept coming back to this, I didn't want to teach this message this morning, okay? I was trying to teach about a riot in Ephesus, and I didn't get to do that. And that'll be next time. Um, I think the real reason that I, I, I make this connection is that I, I see so many people, even people here right now, um, who are just like living in that space. Like life is, is fine, or it's great. Like it should be great. There's, there's success, there's peace, things are going on, but, but just hurting because people you love are both against God and they're against you. 
And I've talked to uh, several people, even in the last couple weeks, who that's their story. And it's, it's a painful burden to bear. And so many of you know exactly what that's like. Like, you know, you have kids, or you have grandkids, or you have parents, or you have friends um, who believe, like, that God is actually a threat to them. And you believe that, that the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and died to die and, 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 and to save them, to, to, to invite them into new life, like, that's like, they find that threatening. But you know, like, you can't shake the confidence that you have that, that, that he loves them, and you love them. And that's a burden you carry around. And I could tell you some cliches, like, don't worry, God has a plan. I think he does. <laughs> or everything happens for a reason. And maybe it does. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't have a position on that particular statement. But, but that won't help. And as I was thinking about this, um, I, think, I think there's only one thing that we can do, and that's, that's that I think we can pray. And that's actually what I want. I want us to pause right now, and I want us to take some time to pray, okay? And let's, you know, switch some things up a little bit. So here's what I'm asking to do. I told you guys I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable, but that's my plan. If you are, if you are in, if, if what I'm describing, like, like you, that's you, <laughs> um, what I want— to ask you to do in just a second, I want to ask you to just stand up where you're at. And if you are just like, like, like thinking about people, like, like, man, there are people in my life who I just love, and it, it pains me how um, against me they are and how, how hurt and how broken they are. Um, I just, would you just stand up? And I just would like to have the people around you just come and just put a hand on your shoulder, and just we're going to pray together for you, okay? No stories. I'm not asking you to tell the story. I'm just, like, not even asking you to tell, tell us the person's names. But I just want us—I realize that when we are in impossible situations, right? Because this is an impossible situation. The only thing we have—and we'll talk about this in just a few minutes here—is the power of God. And the only thing that we can do, the only way that we can navigate is, is through prayer, through calling on God. And, and the, the place of our greatest strength as a church is when we do that together. Because you might not be great at prayer. Frankly, I don't think I'm great at prayer. Um, and I don't know if you can be, by the way, great at prayer. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. So much un- things I don't know about that. Um, but here's what I do know, is that God loves it when his people come together and, and, and use their different giftings and different callings for the sake of building each other up. So if that's you, and I'm going out on a limb here, if that's you, would you just stand up? Would you just stand up if you want to if Somebody in your heart, again, I'm not going to ask you to talk about it Would you just stand up and we can um, We can just like circle around you And just lay a hand on, on your shoulder Or something and, and pray for you Oh, okay. oh okay, there you go, God is good <laughs> Cool, yeah If there's anybody else, yeah And if that's you, uh, just like So other people around those people Why don't you just like, just, just Hand on the shoulder and we're just going to pray for them we're just going to ask God, the God, the God who brings people back to life, to just um, to do to do just that. So, Lord, um, we don't even know the names of these people. We might know some stories. We might know these people. We, we know the people who are standing, Lord. We know they have a, have a burden, one that they can't bear, one that's heavy. But you can bear it for them. And God, we just, we come to you, and we ask you, Lord Jesus, in your kindness and in your love, Lord, would you 
press in all the more to these people who, who were burdened for, God. God, even in their, in, their, in their opposition to you and in their, you know, desire to keep you away, God, would you just break through? Would you just startle these people where so they, they, they couldn't deny that you are real, that you exist, that you're good, you're not who they think you are? Would you prove yourself true to these people? We just come before you. Just asking for your mercy. And Lord, I pray for those who are standing, Lord, that they would have the strength to hope. Lord, to hope, to press in yet again. Lord, and in the, in the, uh, all those who are just gathered around, Lord, that we would have... Um, calling to, to, to lift these people up in prayer. God, we, we, we don't get to do lots of things, Lord, but we get to participate with you. And Lord, we know you love people. But would your just love and would your mercy break through? Lord, would you draw people to yourself? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Part one of the sermon. <laughs> Moving on to part two. Hey, thanks for doing that. Um, I really want us to be a church that prays together. And I'll, you know what? It's funny. I've been to so many churches. I don't know if I've ever really been to a church that prays. Isn't that, isn't that sad? Isn't it sad that um, I, I don't, you know, I'm just like talking about that. This is my broad experience. I don't think I was ever taught to pray. I'm not sure if churches value prayer nearly enough. Um, I would like for us to change that. It might take a long time. <laughs> and feel a little awkward at times. It was pretty awkward for me for those 10 seconds where nobody stood, I'll tell you. But so it goes. <sighs> All right. So, like, okay, I, I want us to think a little bit more and consider, like, Paul's situation, right? Because um, I don't think we see a formula here, okay? I don't think we see a formula. I don't think we see cliches. I think, but I do think we see Paul doing a few things. A few things that aren't formulaic, but that might be helpful for us as we are in a situation of prolonged uh, anguish, discouragement. Um, I, I want to just like, like, really, we see this as he's leaving Ephesus, right? As he's leaving Ephesus, he seems to be doing a few things that I think are, are interesting and that we can learn from. Things that are about him moving on past this season of discouragement and doubt. Uh, so he spends that time in, 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 in Ephesus, he's in distress, he's discouraged, even though ministry was going great. And after two years, he decides to move on, and we read about it in Acts 19.21. It says, after these events, that is, after all this wild stuff going on in the church, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I'd been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. And after sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul's time of distress as he's leaving uh, Ephesus is starting to come to an end. And I think if we read carefully, we see something that I, might be a practical help, practical step to us. Because as he leaves, he, uh, he announces his plan to, to the Ephesians gathered there. And his plan is this. He's going to leave Ephesus. He's going to go uh, across to Macedonia, kind of north of Greece, into Achaia. And then he's going to travel down 
cross the sea into Jerusalem. And then, he says, and then after that, I need to go to Rome. And you have to wonder, wonder what, um, what prompted this ambitious travel plan? Did he get a deal? Uh, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> you know what I think it is? I think that Paul here, he, he's been in this difficult season, and it, I think he's finding hope and strength because he is, he is remembering his calling in this moment. He's remembering what Jesus told him right at the beginning. He's remembering what Jesus commissioned him to do. You remember in Acts 9, we just talked about it, right? What does God tell Ananias about, about Paul's calling? It's this, this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. He is resolving to move out of this season in discouragement, the Lord having comforted him much in the middle of it, but he's resolving to move out of this pain and this, and this discouragement, not by acting like it's not difficult, not by getting over it, right? But by, I think, remembering his calling. He's coming back and remember, what has God told me? What did God tell me right at the beginning? He called him to be someone who would take Jesus to the Gentiles. He's been doing that. But he said two other things too, to the Israelites and also to kings, right? And that's his plan. That's his plan as he describes it. He's going to leave this place where he's at a Gentile ministry. He's going to go to this other place, Macedonia, another place uh, where the Gentiles are. Then he's going to go down to Jerusalem, back to where the Jews are, back to, to the cities of Israel. He's going to do work there. And then he remembers, I was also called to speak to kings. And where are the kings in Rome? They are in Rome. To Paul, he's, he's be remembering what God has told him. And if you find yourself in a similar situation, if you're discouraged and without hope, I think that this is something that we all can do. We can remember what we were called to when we came to Jesus. We can remember his faithfulness and the times where he told us something about what he was going to do in our lives. I, I think it's easy for me to sit here and say, well, just remember your calling, right? But I'll just be honest, like, I don't think I had any idea what my life was for until I was about 35, just three years ago, I'm only 38. Um, like, and, and so if you are just sitting here saying, "Remember my calling," I don't even know what my calling is. You're in good company. Like, it's hard. You're like so much of life. Like my experience of life is just being told to do a lot of different things, and not having any idea what I'm supposed to do or what my calling is. Anybody else feel that? Gosh, yeah. Amen. Okay. So, so I'm not really, I'm not, this is kind of unhelpful, right? Because <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you your seven steps to find your calling. Uh, but here's one thing that I can say. If, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's something that is a part of your calling. When you read John 1, 10 through 13, this is what Jesus was doing. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But... And here it is. To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, but the will of, uh, not the will of man, but of God. If you have come to the point where at some point you gave your life to Jesus, he gave you the right at that point to be a child of God. And that is the firm foundation of a calling. 
I can't get down to the particulars for your life. Only the Lord and you can, can do that. Only you following Jesus over a long period of time learning to trust and listen to him can, can really probably discern what your real calling is. You know, your vocational calling. Your calling um, in terms of your family life. Your calling in terms of, of, yeah, just how you're supposed to go and serve in the world. That's like a very particular thing. But one thing I can say for all people is if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to be a child of God. And God treats his children well. God is not a distant father. He's not a, a father who is um, severe, unkind. And I think that that's like the, the hard part of us kind of trying to figure out our callings is that, you know, not everybody had a perfect father. I don't think a perfect father exists, right? And so, so we come and, and we, we, we sort of like, filter our calling through our insecurities, through our own inability to trust the goodness of our Father. But our calling is to just get past that. Our calling is to get past that and to learn what's true of all who are called by God, saved by grace, is that we're now children of God, and we have the, the rights and privileges and joys of having a good father who cares about us. And being a part of what he's doing in the world. Having a relationship with him. I still talk to my dad all the time. Usually for about four minutes clips. <laughs> my dad doesn't like the phone. <laughs> right? But I can always reach him and I can always talk to him. And I think part of our calling, we have to understand, is that we are called to be people who are children of God, people who are near to God, people who have a life with Him. That's a part of your calling. And I think that the issue is that when we get discouraged, we start to, to doubt that. And we start to feel like God is distant, He doesn't care about us, He's angry with us. And the thing is, if we trusted in Jesus, we are, have the right to be children and he's not angry, and he's not severe, and he's not all these things that we think he is. In fact, he has done everything, everything to signal to us by, by sending Jesus, taking on flesh, dying so that we might have our sin taken away and receive the Holy Spirit and have a new life in Christ. He's done everything to indicate that really there's nothing. He's not withholding anything from us. That's the remarkable thing about people who are, who are in Christ. Like, we just receive from God all this love and all this adoption and all this care, and we are called to just live in that place, called to have that be our calling, to press into that. So we need to remember our calling if we're in a difficult time. And that's hard work. Don't get me wrong. That's work. That's work. That's doing the internal dialogue stuff. That's, that's bringing my, my doubts to God. That's reading the word. That's studying. That's listening. That's going to church and being encouraged by people who can just remind me, God hasn't forgotten you. He, he hasn't forsaken you. He cares about you. He loves you. Keep pressing in. We need to remember our calling. Another thing that Paul does, and we sort of already looked at this, is that as he leaves, as he leaves Ephesus, um, he leaves knowing God all the more. He leaves learning some things about who God is. If you want to come out of a season of difficulty, know God. Know God. 
That is, get to know what he's really like. Not the ideas that I have about him, which may or may not be, be true, but the things that he actually reveals about himself. And by this I mean knowing God as he is. <laughs> see, what we see happen to Paul during this time, and there's, there's a really big difference. That, and I pointed this out last week. We read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Like, clearly in 2 Corinthians, Paul has this huge realization about what God is doing. And it's all about resurrection. I mean, Paul knew about the resurrection, from the beginning, because he went in and he studied the Word of God, and he was like full in onto this. But he seems to, in 2 Corinthians, have greater insight. Again, this is kind of spanning his time in Ephesus. He comes away, and he just has this crazy insight into who God is. One of my favorite Pauline phrase descri phrases describing God is Romans 4, 17. It says, God, in whom Abraham believed— the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. <laughs> I mean, isn't that a crazy thing? Compare that, compare that God to every other thing that people call God, and usually false gods are just ways of gaining little bits of power. Ways to manipulate circumstances. And sometimes we treat God like that. And, and what Paul says is, no, God isn't just like a tool that you use to get a better outcome. God literally is sovereign over all things, and he's the kind of God who gives life to the dead and then calls things into existence that do not exist. That is a high—I mean, just, just that contrast in and of itself, I think, is pretty significant than the way I normally think about how God operates, which I think is usually like, oh, he makes little changes, and slowly he's got a plan. It's going to work its way out, and sure. But you know what he also can do? He can just bring life to dead things and call things into existence that do not exist. Because Paul is sitting here in the midst of anguish, seeing his brothers and sisters— more and more with everything going on, more and more hardened against him. And he, what else can he do? He's saying, every plan I have, all my powers of persuasion, all my, my the, the power of the Holy Spirit just makes it worse. <laughs> and so what am I supposed to do? Like the things of God uh, seem to be bringing about resistance in my brothers and sisters. All I can do is rely on God who calls things into existence that don't exist. That's the nature of the resurrection. The thing about Jesus, like, he didn't almost die. Right? That's not what happened on, on Good Friday. Jesus didn't nearly die. He actually died. <laughs> and then God actually brought life into him. Which just, and I think Paul comes to realize, just totally messes with your idea of who God is and what he's up to in the world. God is bringing life into dead places. We need to know that. Just know his character. Know his power. Know his goodness. Know the power of his mercy and his grace in our life. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Jesus still died. That was hard. But God brought resurrection in the middle of it. And finally we see, this is the last, last little bit here, uh, we see that as Paul leaves Ephesus, it seems like he's really committing to just get real. To get real. He 
has a greater understanding. His, his theology of resurrection, we'll call it that, is really what he develops in this time between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and he starts to understand some things. My great verse, 2nd Corinthians 12, 9, says this, Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness and insults and hardships and persecution and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Understand that this, that Paul writing this stuff in 1 Corinthians, or in 2 Corinthians, I don't think he could have written it in 1 Corinthians. I don't think he could have or would have written it had he not gone through this time of anguish and difficulty in Ephesus. We, we mistake our, we, we, we read scripture in, a, and I think, an unhelpful way if we, if we make Paul and, G, and other characters in the Bible out to be superheroes. These were normal people who had a crazy experience of the grace of God and who had, through experience, they came to know God's character and his nature, and they realized that their calling as, as, as children of God, as people who had, had a, a, uh, had got, for whom God had a plan, is to step into and to really make this stuff real in, in their lives. And so Paul comes to the point where he just comes out of this season of anguish and difficulty and he, he comes to this realization that what he's going to do is he's going to be a person who boasts in his own weakness. He actually considers that to be his point and place of greatest strength. When he feels the most incapable, he has a confidence that that is good. When I am weak, I am strong. And that is something that I could say all day long, but I just, just honestly, like, I know I don't, in certain parts of my heart, believe that. Anyone else? <laughs> right? I can say to myself, well, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I know the Bible tells me that. And that's, that's good. That's great. I know the, the Bible tells me so, and so I believe it. Um, but the thing is, is that I have all of these lies in my heart. I don't know about you, but I believe a lot of things that my brain says are not true, but because I practice them, I know that my heart doesn't always believe them, right? So, so I can tell myself, man, when I'm weak, I'm strong, but I always find myself looking to be strong so I can avoid weakness. Eventually, though, we come to the point in this journey of discipleship where we have to get real with it. Right? We have to take it past the point of, okay, I, I understand that conceptually, but eh, I'm going to pass. The point where we start to just say, okay, no. I'm, I'm really becoming so convinced of this, Lord, that actually in the midst of my, my greatest weakness and in, in, in my feeling so unable to do anything to affect change or to bring about, you know, your plan, God, like really I, I've come to understand that is actually totally the best place for me to be. And we have to grow comfortable in weakness and learn to stop avoiding it all the time. One of my, one of my favorite kind of pastors, podcast pastors, a guy from Australia named Mark Sayers, and he, 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 I heard him say this thing uh, about two years ago when I first started uh, being pastor here, and it was really convicting of me. Um, he said, for pastors, like, like you have to uh, 
not have the idols of, of the culture that you're working in if you actually want to make any impact. And I, I think that what Paul was probably experiencing this time is, th is that God was really confronting his own idols, you know? Because uh, you see all these Ephesians, they're coming in and, and they're just surrendering and they're just leaning on God and, they, and they're getting rid of their old things. They're burning up their books. And I think what God is, was showing Paul in the middle of this time is that actually, hey, buddy, super apostle, <laughs> you've got some things in, in you too. Like you rely on your strength. You think that by your eloquence or by your skill or by your gifting, you're going to, to be doing, doing great. You need to learn and get rid of the idol of your own strength and your own self-trust. You need to learn to trust in God who raises people from the dead. And the only way any of us are going to ever do that is if we take our understanding and we start to put it into practice and we start to get real about it. And we start to put ourselves into situations where we can embrace weakness. And, man, we live in a culture that is so into phonerability, you know, phonerability. Not phone, faux, like French. Fake vulnerability. That would have been easier. I should have said that. Fake vulnerability. Um, like, and I'll tell you, man, as a pastor, it's, man, I, like, there is a strong incentive to be fake vulnerable. Whew. There is a strong incentive as a Christian to put on a happy face. Oh, everything's great. God's so good. And a lot of times as we do that stuff, we just, because we don't want to get real about it. We don't want to embrace, like, like what true weakness might be like, what truly relying on the Lord would be like. Like, we, we have so many things within us where we just, by default, avoid being in positions of weakness. We're not even aware of it. And what I think was going on here is that, is that God was making Paul aware of the ways in which he really defaulted to his own control and needed to get over it. And he finally comes to this place where he can say, I will, in fact, take pleasure in my weakness. I'm not just going to tolerate it. I'm not going to grit my teeth and bear it. I'm going to actually understand that that is exactly the right sort of place for me to live in because it's right in those moments where I can trust God the most because I know who he is. I've known who he is. He's a God who brings <laughs> dead things to life and he calls things into existence which do not exist. <laughs> and so my challenge as we wrap up here, worship team's going to come up here, um, as we just, is, is, is to just, I want you to go back and I want you to pray about that. Because I can't tell you the things in your life that are fake vulnerable, right? I can't tell you the ways in which, like, you think you trust in God, but you probably aren't. I can't do that. I don't, I don't know your life. You have to get with God, and you have to ask him, Lord, who are you? What do you like? What have you called me to? And then, Lord, in what ways am I just trying to rest in my own strength? In what ways am I just like going back to this default position of saying, no, I'm going to manage my life. I'm not going to let God do it. I'm going to be smarter and work harder and do better so that I can avoid pain and difficulty. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to say, might you have that? I'm telling you, you do have that. <laughs> um, and it's somewhere. It's somewhere. I have it too. Let's, let's just be full, fully honest. Like I'm probably only at the very beginning of dealing with this issue in my life. Uh, but I do think we're called to deal with it. 
We can get out of this place. We can understand that weakness is good, and that is like our calling. And we need to get practical. Getting practical with weakness is actually putting myself in a position where I might fail and actually doing it on purpose. This was not an easy sermon for me to prepare. Yesterday, you know, afternoon, I really only had two pages written. They're supposed to be five to six. Five, if we want to keep the time. <laughs> so you want it to be five. I want it to be six. Um, so, uh, and, and it's so funny because I went through this just frustrated. Because I did all the right things. You know, I know how long it takes me to write a sermon. It pretty much takes the same amount of time every single week. And I did all the things, and I checked all the boxes. And at the end of Saturday, I said, I only have two pages. What did I do, Lord? Like, what did I do? And, of course, I just tried to figure out how, how I could get out of that situation because I don't want to stand up here and look like an idiot because that would be very weak of me, right? right so hi, I got a, got a fret over all the things I did and think about, well, did I do something wrong? Am I have some, like, secret sin in my life? God, do you, are you angry at me? So I did all the things, you know, the things that you do in order to make excuses for why just life is the way it is. And I started to think, oh, was God angry with me? And then I just woke up this morning. I didn't wake up this morning. I actually woke up this morning at 5 and tried to work for two hours and just bang my head against a wall. And then finally, finally, this morning at 6 or something, I realized, oh, that's what this sermon is. I'm just supposed to come in here, and I'm really not prepared. I really don't feel prepared. I did all the things. I, I was diligent. But I guess I just have to trust that God's going to show up and do something with it. And we'll see. <laughs> you, can grade, you can grade the sermon on the connect cards. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. You know what, like, honestly, like, I, I, I just point that out, I'm not trying to toot my horn because, really, I did a pretty bad job. But what I could have learned is that, hey, man, if I'm just faithful, I, I do the things, I live my life, I'm, like, trying to honor the Lord as best I can, sometimes I'm going to be walking into places where I really am weak, and that's okay, instead of trying to sort it out and solve it. I am not very comfortable with standing up here and just trusting God. Of all the people who should be, I feel like the pastor should be able to trust God. But I just, I, I just don't have that reflex. It's not developed enough yet. Um, I don't feel guilty about that. I, I feel like I'm just learning. And that's, how I hope, how you feel too. Learn. But like, I have kids. And I know when they study and when they don't. I know when they put their mind to learning when they say, well, we'll just see what happens, right? <laughs> we can intend to learn. We can try to get real with this faith stuff. And there's things that we can do to actually put it on the line. Just say, okay, I'm going to make myself a little uncomfortable. I'm going to actually be a little bit vulnerable, God. And I'm going to put myself out there. And I'm going to say, will you show up, Lord? But if I never do that, if I just try to manage things, and I try to protect myself from the risk, I'm never going to see God move. And I'm going to stay in that place of what's this, the despondency, right? So that's my invitation. Get real. Put it on the line. See if God shows up when you actually risk weakness. All right. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for my friends here. Thank you for this gathering, God. We just want to see you move, Lord. Lord, we don't want to put on a show. We don't want to have a, a, a church show every Sunday, God. We just want you to show up <laughs> in our lives. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, God. We want to see how faithful you are to be, everything you promised to be. Lord, teach us to 
hunger and thirst for the real thing, for your work, your power, your grace. Teach us how to step out into that place and to be vulnerable. Or would you just, this week even, as we wake up tomorrow, just show us a few things. Lord, as we meet with you and seek you every day, Lord, would you show us some things that we can lay down before you? Not in guilt, not in shame, but just as an opportunity to grow in you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't we just stand and we'll worship together.